0: in April 1970, 17,000 mothers and their newborn babies were asked to take part in a survey to find out more about the first week of life. This became known as the 1970 British Cohort Study, BCS70. The study followed these babies as they grew, and continues to do so today. This year the study turns 50, and so welcome to 50 Years of Life in Britain, a podcast celebrating half a century of the 1970 British Cohort Study. I'm Lee Elliott-Major, Professor of Social Mobility at the University of Exeter, and I'll be your host as we trace the story of BCS70 across five decades and consider the future of this amazing study. In the previous podcast, we learned about the golden years of the new millennium when Prime Ministers Tony Blair and Gordon Brown championed social science and the birth cohorts.
1: We
2: made loads of presentations in government about it, including at one point a meeting in the number 10
3: cabinet room. when when Brown was Prime Minister.
0: The government funded the 1970 study to survey participants on three occasions and even started the first new birth cohort study in 30 years with the Millennium Cohort Study.
2: Peter Mandelson, who was in the cabinet still at that point, thought that having a cohort to celebrate the Millennium would be a a good way to add to the portfolio of um, bridges and domes and things.
0: Now on to the 2010s. Although the decade would be marked by austerity, Brexit and growing concerns about climate change, Britain enjoyed sporting success with a record medal haul at both the 2012 and 2016 Olympic Games. But as our study members reached middle age, how are they getting on?
2: I turned 40 in 2010. And also got married a few months after that. We had a wonderful red wedding with lots of our nearest and dearest, lots of good friends and family, and you know, it's it was the happiest day of my life. I know it's cliched, but it absolutely was.
4: At the start of the 2010s I was working at university and then the Conservative government won the election and their key activity was austerity which meant a huge contraction in public sector employment and I was made redundant along with thousands of other people.
3: We've become much more aware of global warming and climate change and the role of humans in making that happen and the um, terminology's changed from climate change to now we're talking of a climate emergency
4: having been made redundant in 2010 i was facing the choice do i find another job even though there was a big recession on, or do I become self-employed? So I'd had a small redundancy payment, I was aged 40, and I thought, well, if I don't try becoming self-employed now, then it's probably never going to happen. And so gradually, but quite quickly, I became a wedding photographer and videographer, and that's continued for the last 10 years and grown, and I've branched out into doing websites and other creative self-employed tasks.
3: My own children have grown up, and in the 2010s they've all gone off to university and by the end of this decade or end of that decade 2010s we were left empty nesters as they call it with no children
4: the whole brexit debate and vote and all the debates that happened after that um 2016 whichever view you take on it were obviously you know momentous and um And then also that same year, the election of Donald Trump in America. Both those things are things that still kind of reverberate now.
0: After the global financial crisis and a new government ushering in a decade of public sector cuts, social science and the cohort studies might have faded into obscurity. But with government funding two surveys and citing findings in various national policies and international academics demanding the data more than ever before, it appeared that the value of the studies had been cemented. In this episode, we'll be finding out why study members were asked to stand on one leg with their eyes closed. All will be explained by epidemiologist Professor Mark Hamer when we discuss the age 46 biomedical sweep. We'll find out what it's like to have a hotline to the study participants when we speak to Mary Yukar, BCS 70 Cohort Maintenance Officer. We'll also hear from study members about the physical assessments and tests they were asked to undertake as part of their Midlife Health MOT. But first, Professor George Ploubidis, the Centre for Longitudinal Studies Director of Research. We discussed his work looking at the rising levels of depression among Generation X in middle age. Can you tell us when you first encountered the cohort studies?
5: Well, uh, it was 16 years ago, 2004. I had my um, first job uh, after my PhD as a postdoc at the University of Cambridge, at the Department of Psychiatry. And in the interview, they were asking, they were mentioning this magical thing, the 1946 British Birth Cohort. I had no idea what this was. Right? Obviously, I checked a little bit as much as you could have checked uh, back then. Uh, online about you know, what this was and so on um, luckily you know I, I got appointed to the, the job and I started working um, on mental health over the life course in the 1946 46 cohort first uh, you can imagine my surprise that this thing was available so data from birth detailed data across the life course on various things that you could link with mental health and so on and you can imagine my delight and surprise when I realized that oh you know what in the UK, there are three more of those. The NCDS, BCS-70, and of course, back then, the latest one, the newest one, Millennium cohort. They were four years old back then, right? So I was, you know, it was love at first sight for each of the cohorts we have, even if, you, if we had a single birth cohort in the UK, that would have been amazing in itself, right? We have a, a, a very important thing for science. The fact that we have a series of those, this is, uh, you know, it, it, the UK leads on that on that area
0: absolutely could you tell us a little bit about your research on mental health and well-being
5: i got interested into looking at into comparing the mental health status of various generations the idea of course that uh, younger cohorts are are expected to live longer or at least were expected to live longer the rise of life expectancy in the last uh, hundred years and so on and the question was okay we're living longer but are we healthier are we happier right and i think this is an interesting important question of course having the birth cohorts uh, available and having identical measures of mental health available in various generations allows us to do these comparisons. There are various methodological intriguing, methodological issues about how people can actually, whether different generations interpret an identical question about um, a symptom of anxiety or depression in the same way. So there's a lot of methodological work we have done at CLS on this. And uh, what we found, for example, that bc 70 compared to NCDS in midlife, bc 70 has worse, higher, more symptoms of psychological distress. This is depression and anxiety. And this difference was a bit more pronounced in men as well. Which, if you think about it, is a little bit of a surprising finding because bc 70 of course, are expected to live longer and so on. It was the basis for a bit more work that we do as we speak, on trying to understand this difference, why younger cohorts report more symptoms, and, you know, understand the mechanism that underlies this and so on. For too long,
2: mental illness has been something of a hidden injustice in our country, shrouded in a completely unacceptable stigma and dangerously disregarded as a secondary issue to physical health.
0: What you found was that later generations suffered um, more mental health issues than previous generations, which I guess is surprising to many people because, you know, generally, I guess people think society has got better off. We're not as hard up, I guess, as before, although others would argue that inequality has increased. But that was quite a surprising finding, was it?
5: Yes. I mean, in in a sense, you know, from from various perspectives, I you suggest, you know, uh, all this economic growth, right, and everything, and of course, you know, life expectancy. If you, if you look at life expectancy, you're expecting generally health, health outcomes, including mental health outcomes, to follow, to follow more or less the similar, similar pattern. However, if you think of those born um, around 1970 as the Generation X, you will, and especially in the UK, you will see that inequality has gone up, for example... Uh, when this when this generation entered the labor market, if you look at unemployment as well, again, it was fluctuating a lot. It was higher be- compared to, let's say, the baby boomers, uh, and so on. So there, there are explanations for this. Uh, for this, what initially looks like, oh, that's a surprising finding. There are explanations for this, but I think there is more work that, that needs to be done to actually explain because this difference that we found, which is a very strong, unexpected difference. Um, but there are, there are explanations around inequality and labor market conditions and so on. And we're working on that as we speak.
0: So is your area now becoming even more interesting, I guess, mm-hmm. given what's happening in, in, in terms of COVID?
5: Well, there, there, is, I guess, there is certainly a lot of interest on mental health. Um, for example, what is the impact of uh, the COVID-19 crisis the log- or the social distancing measures, lockdown on mental health? or in inequalities on mental health, right, and, and so on. So there's a lot of interest in that, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of interest on in how this will um, influence the long-term trends we have established on mental health, the ones we've been discussing about younger cohorts, you know, generally reporting more, issues, more mental health problems, anxiety, depression, and so on. Um, the cohorts are particularly important in this kind of work because, of course, we have all these trajectories of mental health and all, all this other information that we can include in our investigations of mental health. We have this uh, new web survey where we are doing now at uh, the for longitudinal studies, which includes all the CLS cohorts, but also the 1946 uh, birth cohort, which I think is the very first time that this happens. There's a data collection in all national birth, co- birth cohorts happening at once. Um, And this, of course, it's not only about the impact of, let's say, the COVID-19 crisis now as we speak on mental health, which is an important question, but it's also about um, short-term and long-term impacts. For example, what are the factors that confer resilience in the long term with respect to mental health? And I think the cohorts probably are the only studies, the only data that's available on the planet that will allow this detailed work in the long term, in five or 10 years from now, to understand exactly what are the impacts of the COVID-19 crisis.
0: What did the study tell us about life for Generation X as they settled into middle age? Here are some results from the 2012 survey.
6: At age 42, four in five study participants had become parents. Three in five women believed in life after death, and a third of men believed in the afterlife. 3 in 10 voted for the Conservatives in the 2010 general election. One in five knew the meaning of the word pusillanimous. Half ate breakfast every day, but one in 10 never ate breakfast. Half of women and a third of men were trying to lose weight.
0: After the successes of the London 2012 Olympics, it was widely reported that the great British public was spending more time getting fit. And as participants reached middle age, they were asked to complete a series of physical tests and assessments for the first time since they were teenagers. Here's what they remember about the age 46 biomedical survey.
3: I did a blood test. I did the I had the activity monitor. It happened to be a week where I was skiing for a week. <laughs> so So I kind of thought this is a bit crazy that, you know, they're not going to see my normal activity because I'm actually skiing all week. And then I think by the end of the seven days, I think it was it was supposed to be on for seven days. It lasted like five days, I think. But I thought that was pretty good going. But it did look like I was ultra fit and uh, (laughs) active. But it was they chose that said they said that's the week you've got to do it. And I was like, well, that's the week I'm skiing. So that's what it's got to be.
2: I think i was a bit freaked out by the last ones which were a bit more physical tests that's really stuck in my memory of having a balance on one leg in my lounge and falling over literally within seconds and like no my lord but you know then i think well there might be lots of other people who are undertaking this who have got lots of difficult you know difficult physical issues and difficulties with mobility and you know how that impacts and you know how that might make them feel so you know you need to think a bit wider and about
1: that so there were kind of yeah lots of
7: medical tests she did a blood test that was all all about yeah health and family medical history and that sort of thing yeah and I remember she had me like balancing on one leg with my eyes closed and stuff like that and then previous to that a lady had come out and talked
3: that was just more of a chat about general things oh yeah and there was a load of tests that we had to do like timed tests on the laptop as well with the last one of all about, I think, your verbal and um, reasoning and all those sorts of tests. I'd forgotten
7: about that. <laughs> that was quite a lengthy interview. and think she was here for a good couple of hours.
4: I think you only need two words to sum up these games. Britain delivered. We showed the world what we're made of. We reminded ourselves what we can do. These small islands of 60 million people taking third place behind countries more than five
7: and ten times our
0: size. So, during this decade of British Olympic glory, was the country getting healthier? Mark Hamer is Professor of Sport and Exercise Medicine at University College London. He played a central role in designing the Age 46 Biomedical Survey. We spoke to him to find out more about the health of Generation X in middle age and how his findings might be used to help the population as a whole to get healthier.
7: I first got involved um, about 10 years ago and it was just before uh, Alice Sullivan was starting to think about putting together the biomedical um, for the 1970 cohort Um, and I was largely brought in for my expertise on uh, biomedical aspects. It was a lot of work. We, we, We had a lot of consultations with um,
0: experts in the field. Mark told us about the assessments and tools used to measure people's health.
7: One of the most important things was that the 1970 cohort have, have never had any blood taken from them and blood's important because we can measure um, a lot of things from the blood. Um, firstly we can get their DNA um, and DNA can in, be increasingly used to uh, predict disease. We can also get clinical risk factors including things like cholesterol blood glucose, um, and those things can be used to predict risk of future disease, such as elevated glucose, which could uh, go on to predict diabetes in a few years' time. We also measure uh, blood pressure. Another really interesting novel measure that we introduced was a thigh-worn activity monitor. And in, in my field, which is physical activity, we are increasingly preferring to use devices to measure physical activity because we know that when we give out questionnaires, people tend to find it quite difficult to accurately recall how much physical activity exercise they actually do. So if we can capture it objectively with a small device, it's, it's, it's much better scientifically. We asked study members to take part in a series of physical tests. In one, we asked them to stand on one leg for a minute and then to repeat this test with their eyes closed. And in essence, this is a test to measure people's coordination, balance, and to some extent, their uh, lower body leg strength. And it's really interesting because this test is a, is a very very powerful way to... Uh, predict
0: someone's future health risk the data only became available to researchers late last year but mark was able to tell us a little bit more about the early findings
7: one of the interesting things we've looked at is how blood pressure tracks from childhood to adulthood when the cohort members were aged 10 they actually had an objective assessment of blood pressure that that the nurse took and when We undertook the midlife uh, biomedical assessment. We we repeated the blood pressure measures, and what's really interesting is that the children that recorded the high levels of blood pressure are the ones that do go on to develop uh, what we 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 would term as uh, clinically elevated blood pressure or hypertension uh, in when they're in their middle age. Um, And some of those adults are already taking uh, medications to control their blood pressure. So what are the main
0: health issues for this generation?
7: One of the striking features of the data is that two-thirds of the cohort are either overweight or obese. So in other words, their body mass index is over 25. And in some participants, it's over 30, which would be categorised as as, as obese. I think that's quite striking. I, I was also born in the 70s. And I think this this particular generation have, unlike our parents, enjoyed plentiful food supplies. You know, we, we've not been influenced by any rations, post-war rationing. Um, and we've also seen quite an interesting kind of automation in our workplace. So I think during my working life, we've sort of seen the introduction of computers, emails, et cetera, and that's probably led to an overall reduction in physical activity levels so those two things combined um plentiful food supplies and probable reduction in physical activity is is probably partly accounting for this uh, obesity epidemic that we're currently seeing and of course we know that obesity is very um, closely linked to diabetes and I, I suspect that in a few years' time, when when we come to reassess this cohort, uh, levels of diabetes
0: will will have gone up. Mark explained why it's important to have biomedical surveys in the cohort.
7: The cohort members themselves get uh, a really good biomedical checkup, and it it's really probably as good as going to your GP because the tests that we do are the ones that you, the GP would do. Also, particularly for this nineteen seventy cohort, midlife is is a period when you're probably not demonstrating clinical disease. You wouldn't think that you need to be seeing the g p but actually you many participants are actually starting to develop risk factors which could be going on in the background without you really knowing. So, for example, blood pressure, cholesterol, blood glucose, those risk factors could all be very gradually rising before you know that you are actually diabetic.
0: So how can the findings from the study be used by policymakers and health practitioners and also by the study participants themselves?
7: It's certainly really good to be able to feed back data to the cohort members so that they can understand what's happening with their health In terms of the policy makers, my interest is particularly in how we can use evidence to influence the physical activity guidelines because at the moment we um, have guidelines that rely on uh, self-reported evidence. Studies that we have done with the objective assessments are hugely beneficial because we can help to really start to improve our physical activity guidelines And we can really start to give people more accurate advice about how much physical activity they should be doing for improving their health. What we tend to see on NHS websites, uh, government websites, are a basic set of guidelines. Currently, what you'd be familiar with is is the 30 minutes a day or 150 minutes a week of moderate to vigorous physical activity. We know that it's not a one size fits all for example. We know that different people will probably benefit from doing different types and levels of exercise. We know that physical activity interventions are challenging because when you have a a family full time job, life can be very busy and it's hard to, to make these changes. So we tend to suggest that you look at trying to make small changes that you can actually integrate into your life So that might not involve going to get a gym membership. It might be sort of thinking about how you could leave the car in the garage and try to, for example, walk to the station or walk into work. Those sorts of ideas. And and obviously, trying to be a bit more active in your life should help with weight loss.
0: As we're in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic, I asked Mark about the survey that's been sent to the 50,000 study members across all the cohort studies. What will this survey show us in terms of exercise, diet and health?
7: The lockdown has been really interesting. Obviously, you hear lots of different stories about how some people have changed their their kind of health behaviours dramatically. I think, paradoxically, some people would have been able to actually go out and exercise a bit more. You know, when I've been out on my bike, I've certainly seen lots Of people out that I've never seen before. But you hear other stories about people possibly drinking more alcohol, possibly consuming more calories. So I think the the survey that we're doing at the minute could help to really unpick all of those issues um, and actually provide some solid data on on what is going on. Because obviously we we have lots of data on people's behaviours before the lockdown started. So we're probably in a really good position to, to actually get a good handle on some accurate data as, as opposed to other surveys that have only been able to collect um, that one snapshot of data.
0: So what do the early results from the 2016 survey tell us about the health and cognition of Generation X at middle age? Here are some findings. At age 46, 8 in 10 study participants had normal blood
6: pressure, but men were more likely than women to have raised blood pressure. Nearly 7 in 8 could stand on one leg for 30 seconds with their eyes open, but only 1 in 8 could do it with their eyes closed. In another assessment, study members were asked to name as many animals as they could in one minute. On average, they could name 24 animals but one person managed to name 70 animals in one minute.
0: At the home of BCS70, the Centre for Longitudinal Studies, there's a team of in-house detectives who trace study members if they're missed in recent surveys. We caught up with Mary Yukar, who has been a cohort maintenance officer for the past decade. Mary told us what it's like to have a hotline to our precious participants.
1: I work on the tracing of subjects. My team, we prepare mail letters, we make telephone calls, we liaise with statutory and other agencies, the fieldwork agencies that are involved from time to time. We have regular um, correspondence with court members in that way. For example, annually we send out birthday cards to BCS70 members. So I'm involved in preparing that in sometimes involved in in selecting um the cards just um being available to correspond with court members where where either by, via telephone or email and letters obviously um we still use the old fashioned letters um one of my key tasks is to maintain the records on the cohort studies um, um, database information, contact information as it were, the front end, their addresses and telephone numbers and email addresses etc so that we can keep in touch with them. So I'm involved in trying to find cohort members with whom we've lost contact.
0: How do you go about tracing people how does that work
1: we start from where we last found them where we last had contact if we have telephone numbers we ring them if we're lucky we get through to them or to family members whom they have previously submitted to us as stable contacts so if we're you know sometimes we email them Sometimes we do all these things and still no joy, no no success. We reach out to some other agencies and they're able to assist us with looking at their records to see if they, some of our op members are on it.
0: How do you feel when you actually find when
1: we successfully trace somebody? Yeah, that is joy. <laughs> Uh, if you find a particularly tricky one to find, you you can jump up and dance around the room or something. <laughs> it feels good because um, sometimes it 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 it's taken hours of almost detective work. You know, you're like the cohort detective, aren't you? Something like that, yes. But you're
0: still enjoying the job. What are the best bits?
1: Learning about humanity. That's that's what I get out of it. I enjoy you know, the encounter with various kinds of, of people out there. It's 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 a rich diversity of different characters, if, for want of a better word. You'll find some people are really, really into this study. They're so happy to be contributing meaningfully to society. Some people are very kind and gentle and cooperative. So the usual di- diversity that you'll find across different persons... That you encounter. I connect with people. I like people. So I like co-members. <laughs> and some of them are just, you know, trying to navigate life just like all of us, the rest of us. So, so I do make a connection when, when I'm interacting with co-members directly on a one-to-one.
0: Here, study members reflect on whether taking part in the biomedical survey at age 46 has made them think more about their health
3: the lady came to the house I suppose she was a nurse or a researcher or something she came to my house and there were all sorts of tests that I had to do and at one point she said okay can you stand on one leg for a minute and I thought well that's not going to be very difficult <laughs> so I managed to do that and then um, and then she said well and can you stand on one leg for a minute but this time with your eyes closed and I thought well, that's also going to be very easy. And um, I was amazed at how difficult it was, but I still d- I did it, I managed it. Also, there was a, um, a an activity monitor that I had to wear then for a whole week. Well, I think that these sort of things kind of concentrate your own mind, really. So that week made me, I, I didn't do anything different to what I usually do, but I must admit, it did make me think, hmm, I'm not really perhaps quite as active as I should be. I think that being in the study makes you makes you reflect on your own life. And also, you know, when you're asked questions about um, your opinions and it, it's, it kind of makes you think of your place in history and um, kind of st- a step back from your life that you, you're normally living. That, that's been quite good for me. Whether that's good for the study,
2: I don't know. <laughs> the one in our 40s... Um, looked at our health and our health and well-being, And I think that particular survey is perhaps of, of most interest to me personally as a researcher too, because they were collecting data that as I, I can see is enormously valuable to biomedical research. So they've taken blood samples, they've asked us to um, complete diet diaries. So the focus has really been on our health we had to wear a fitness tracker i think for seven days and that was quite interesting to get the uh, report back and to see how much of the time i actually spent um, sitting and how much of the time i was walking and so that was quite interesting to receive a little bit of feedback from that and in terms of um, reporting on uh, various health parameters the survey in in our 40s has had a very different feel to the previous surveys one aspect was that they also made us to stand on one leg again which is something that we'd had to do at the very beginning so it's come full circle that at five years old, old i can remember being asked to stand on one leg and then in my late 40s i was asked to stand on one leg again and this time they asked me to close my eyes and that's where i wobbled and yeah couldn't do that
0: next time in our sixth and final episode we'll look to the future we'll find out more about the progress of the covid19 survey that's been sent to 50,000 study members taking part in britain's cohort studies including the 1970 cohort we'll discover more about how surveys might be run during potential future lockdowns and we'll also find out more about the benefits of the new cohort study being launched in the coming years see you next week
6: 50 years of life in Britain, powered by UCL Mines. I hope you subscribe to join the
5: celebration.